Hi, my name is Phil Williams. I'm the CEO and chairman of Consolidated Uranium. We're a global uranium developer with a focus on near-term production in the U.S. Phil, good to see you. I haven't seen you since September. A little bit crazy markets. We saw some highs and lows and probably lows again. Um, how, are you, how are you feeling about things over there? Yeah, look, you're right. It's been a very volatile time. Um, and, and certainly I thought we'd be in a much better position now than, than we are. And, and it's global financial markets as much as it is the uranium market. But we're, we feel very good about our, our business and what we're doing. We've got exciting projects that we're working today, and we have a very healthy balance sheet to weather any storm. Right, because um, when you kind of came, you, you came running out of the gates, um, as it were, at, at high speed. I think the market got a little bit excited about what, what you were creating there. And then I think as the market kind of picked up, it kind of killed your M&A game. Um, do current conditions help you in that regard? Because your yeah, equities have come way off again. Yeah, Matt, they certainly do. And and uh, our pipeline has always been full. And uh, but but certainly companies have 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 been more interested or less interested as the markets have heated up about doing uh, deals with us. And I think now they're realizing that the consolidation strategy being part of a bigger entity with better access to capital, better trading liquidity makes a lot of sense. And so those conversations have heated up particularly of late. So uh I think there's a real opportunity for us to continue to pursue that strategy and build out our portfolio. Well, we've seen some big transactions happen um, recently in um, you know, the UEC, UEX um, deal for, for one. But you know, those, those are truly big companies. You're, you're still kind of the 130, 150 million market cap level. I mean, how do you pitch yourself to some of these perhaps lately tired uh, CEOs, perhaps cash constrained, or quite frankly, unsure how to move forward? What are they buying yeah, look, into? It, it, 100%. It's a very simple. One plus one can equal more than two. And so, and we do. Well, that's what we do. We point to the deals that UECs has done. We point to the Encore deal. We point to the Deep Yellow Vimy deal. And we show, you know, consolidation is happening. There are, there are you know, obviously synergies to doing to doing consolidation in terms of reducing your GNA. But more importantly, it's about what's the growth profile of the combined business? How do we get on more radar screens? How do we lower our cost of capital by having access to more bigger institutional investors who want to who want to invest in those bigger companies? And uh, and and I think together, particularly our business with some of the assets that we're looking at and companies that we're looking at could be much much stronger. So, where's, where's, what about your focus? Okay, last time we spoke, you know, we I kind of went after you a little bit with regards to you know you know your attempt to. Um, acquire uh, Queensland assets and Argentinian assets, given the kind of Australian Labour government's attitude and Australian government more broadly attitude to nuclear uh, difficulties in Argentina. But you've done you've done two quite clever things recently. You, you've you've kind of spun out Moran Lake um, to Labrador uranium, um, and you've also um, made another acqui acquisition. Um, it, what, what, are you, what are you working to? I'm not quite sure, you know, what it is that you're trying to be. Yeah, look, and and and, and so when we started the started the company, we were focused on acquiring these unloved, forgotten assets for pennies on the dollar, and and sometimes that took us to those jurisdictions that were a little higher on the risk profile. Although those countries we like particularly, but but in maybe in those sub jurisdictions, and you point out Queensland, of course. But our goal here is to create a multi-asset production vehicle. Starts in the U.S. We have past producing mines. We can turn them on very quickly. And now it's about what comes behind that. What jurisdictions do we want to go after, and, and what projects we want to add there? And you, you mentioned Argentina. 
And just an anecdote, you know, we had the PDAC here in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. There were nine governors of states in Argentina that had come up to the conference talking to investors, talking to companies, trying to, uh, trying to explain why Argentina is a great uh, jurisdiction for mining investment. And, uh, and, you know, we just had a team of, of four guys go down to Argentina looking at other opportunities. I think that's going to be a very important jurisdiction going, going forward for us. And, uh, and it's, you know, on top of being extremely prospective for uranium and other, and other metals that might come along with those deposits, it's a nuclear country. They're building out their fleet. They're looking for domestic sources of supply. So I think that could be a really big part of our story going forward. Australia maybe a little bit behind that, but I think there's other things to do also in Australia where we could add to our portfolio. Right, but again, I come back to the question: What, what are you trying to be? It seems with the deal that you did with um, Energy Fuels, you want to be a producer, right? And I, and I want to talk about that in some detail because I think that's one of the more important things that you've done since we spoke. Um, obviously, the spin out of Moran Lake. I'd like to understand why you spun it out and didn't keep it in the portfolio. And yeah, you've got some of these. Okay, I think Australia, Argentina. We, Park that up for now, but you know you kind of got these kind of very early stage exploration components in, in in Canada too. So, are you aiming to be a producer developer? Are you aiming to just be a well, just that you know consolidate uranium projects and then work out what you do with them at some later date? I mean, what is the vehicle about? No, so we're now pivoting one hundred percent focused on becoming a producer on our from our assets in the U.S. And then it's about okay, how do we leverage the platform? So we build out this expertise in production. We want to have assets behind that that were actually our development assets. And so that's where we're going next. And, and it's either assets that move up within our existing portfolio or other assets that we bring into the portfolio that will be the second and third projects uh, in that in that pipeline for development. Okay, well, so let's let's go. Let's let's talk about the deal you did with uh, Energy Fuel. So I know it's so long ago, but I think it was super important. I saw it at the time, and you know, I guess we should have spoken sooner. But you've got perhaps one of the better U.S. former producing projects on your books. You've also got Energy Fuels as a shareholder and the ability to access the White Mesa Mill. Not bad. Yeah, no, we couldn't be more excited with those assets, and I think this is a great time to be talking about them because. You know, even when we acquired them, we were still understanding what we had. And over the last six months, we've really figured that out. And what we've decided to do as part of understanding that is to go do work on these projects. And we're one of the busier U.S. uranium developers, near-term producers right now, with three drill programs going on on the three past producing mines that we bought, bought from Energy Fuels. Right. Okay. But, but it's, this, this is the bit that interests me. It's the access to the White Mesa Mill. It's the only agreement that they've got with any company in North America to utilize their facilities. Is, is that right? No, no, it absolutely is. We're the, we're the only company with guaranteed access to the mill other than Energy Fuels. And if you talk to Mark and you talk to Energy Fuels, they have no plans to give another agreement like this to, an, to any of the other companies. So that's a, that's a huge strategic advantage for us. And, and when we look at our peers and you say, okay, you have, maybe you have a past producing mine, maybe you have something that's permitted, but if you can't actually mine the, mine, turn the mine door into yellow cake, then how are you, why would you even invest in, in turning a mine on? You need, and, and getting access to another mill, either a new mill or even, a, or even an old mill is a five year plus exercise. So we have this near term advantage over our peers and that's going to create a, a lot of opportunity for us. But, but if, if, say, your competitors could, other, other North American, um, you know, hard rock uranium miners could access them. I mean, what, what, what do those deals look like? If, if you don't own it, I guess you're, you're tolling it. Is that right? Is it, what are the options? 
Well, right now there are no options, but you could, I mean, what we're, we have a 12 million agreement, which means that we take our order to the mill, we pay for our share of the processing costs, and we get all the upside when we sell the uranium. We don't, we're not sharing any of that with energy fuels. I think that if, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to speak necessarily for energy fuels, but I think that they could be looking at ore buying agreements with other parties where basically they just buy the ore and, and the, the company might make a small margin, but they don't get the exposure to the uranium price that we get. And, you know, our, our whole, co- our company's built on leverage to the price of uranium. And I think our investor base is, is, is backing us for that reason. And so if uranium prices run like they did in, in 06, 07, we can get a full exposure to that. I think some of our peers will be will uh, will not be able to get that full exposure if they have to sign sign deals uh, like the one I just talked about. Right. Okay. But so how do you gear yourself up for this? Okay. You, you're, so I've got a clear picture now. What you know? What, what you want to be uh, within the context of the total portfolio? But you're going to have to commit to the U.S. And if you want to be a producer, you're going to have to commit. Um, and that means commit budget, commit people, commit to a plan, you know, start doing all of those things we talk about with, with, with the kind of more advanced projects. That's, you know, look, you know, try to get, um, term contracts in place, try and get, you know, your capital in place. I mean, how, how are you moving things forward there? Yeah. Look, we're doing all of those things. So the first thing is we're drilling to understand. In, in one, in, in, in certain cases, confirming the existing resources and in other cases, expanding on the existing resources. So we, we have a very good handle on the Tony M resource. We've drilled, a, we've just finished a confirmation program. We're going to have an updated 43101 there. At Daenerys and Rim, we're, we're exploration drilling there. Those projects haven't been explored beyond the, where, they, where they stopped mining in, any, in, in a decade. So those programs are going to expand those resources. And then at the same time, we're building our team. We're activating permits. We're getting it. We're going out for contracts for contract miners, and we're getting ready to make a production decision towards the end of the year. The last piece, which you mentioned, is the contracts, and that's the next piece that we have to tackle. And we're working on that. And and fortunately, we've got Energy Fuels as a as a partner. I mean, they they're already signing contracts, and there's every opportunity for us to dovetail in behind them if that's the path we choose or go out and try to sign uh, contracts on our own. And we're starting to do the work to understand what kind of contracts we could be getting. Okay, so, so that's the contracts with, with utilities. And obviously it's a very dynamic and fluid environment um, more broadly with you know uranium pricing. We, you know, we've seen, obviously we talked about last time, Sput obviously doing their thing and you've kind of got a few European kind of, kind of parts doing, the, doing their thing too and trying to, trying, to, trying to move that. But it's kind of stalled at the moment. In fact, you know, gone backwards slightly. I think we saw, you know, early 60s, Pricing mm-hmm. a few months ago, yeah. back down sort of low fifties at the moment. So, um, how, how do you operate in an environment like that? You know, because utilities are less than forthcoming. Governments talk a good game, but don't actually kind of give. You know, they don't stump up the money. Um, so you've got to kind of commit in a way. I think last quarterly you talked about twenty eight million bucks in place. So let's say where are you? 20, 25, 26 million now. Um, how, again, how do you? Position yourself in that environment for investors mm-hmm. to say, look, do you know what? This strategy makes a whole bunch of sense. It's better that we try to be a producer and get that producer re-rate potentially than kind of continue to build out the portfolio. Or, or can you do both? I mean, I think we could do both. But one thing I would I would say is because these mines were in production in the past and there's been over $100 million of CapEx spent on them, our incremental CapEx to bring them back in production is very low. It's, we, we have it on our balance sheet today. So we don't have a financial commitment. 
beyond our balance sheet to turn these mines on. And what the, I think that gives us a lot of flexibility with respect to signing contracts. And when you say that the, that the utilities are kind of slow installing, part of that is true. The other part is we have seen U.S. utilities particularly signing contracts with U.S. producers. Because of everything that's happening geopolitically, domestic U.S. utilities know they need and want domestic sources of supply, and they're going to come and get it. I think we ha- we're in a, in a unique position because we're fully funded to build out our, our mines that we can take a bit of a hard line approach. And again, we're trying to give our, our investors the, the direct exposure to the price of uranium. You know, if, if we have another bull market like we have, we want to be able to be delivering production into that market and, and not, have our, not have our sales price capped. Right. But it, okay, well, term contracts come in all shapes and, and, and colors, right? So it's be down to you to negotiate that by proving what we have produced in the past and we can produce in the future. Um, okay. Because obviously the energy fuel guys will be doing that for you, operating it for you. But um, I'm just specifically interested, you say that utilities are signing contracts. They're not signing it in the numbers that gives the market confidence that the price will keep moving forward. And that's kind of a, a problem for people like Sput in terms of, you know, being able to access the ATM, the, the, you know, the, the ratio isn't quite right there um, for them. So it, it, it's still a kind of stuttering, spluttering, albeit a really positive thesis, but it's not moving at the, at the, at the pace that investors would like. But for you, given you're just starting up, is it you're okay with the pace that this is working out at? You trying, in terms of positioning yourself and trying to work out what you want to be? Yeah, y- yes. I mean, look, it's not moving as fast as we would have liked it to be. So we do have to exercise some patience. But in the in the meantime, what we're doing is being ready so that we can make that production decision and go back in production very quickly. And I think, again, to hammer home the points about our company and why we're unique and that we can turn on very quickly, fully permitted past producing mines, we can turn them on very quickly for a low amount of capital and we have access to the mill. So, so we can be very nimble and hit the market when it comes, but we can also be patient and, and, and listen, we still need, you know, a few months here to be ready to make that decision. So we do have that patience. The other thing about the nature of our mines is they're very flexible. We can turn them on and off very quickly. We can go in and batch 10, 15, 20,000 tons of ore at Daenerys, for example, the last mine that was in production of, of our projects in 2013. We can go and batch it, take it to the mill, process it. And, and, if, and if the market, you know, there's a lot of volatility in the market. If the market comes off, we can just sit back and it's not going to cost us a lot of money to turn that mine off and wait for prices to rebound again to turn it back on. Compared to ISR? Compared to ISR, compared to a lot of other mines that need, you know, any project that needs tens and tens of millions of dollars of capital, you're not going to build it, turn it on, and then turn it off very quickly. You, you just don't have that capability, particularly if you debt fund it. We're fully, we have all the cash on our balance sheet, so, so we can go ahead and do it. You know, but, but certainly an ISR mine isn't as flexible. Once you turn it on, you have to keep pump, pumping fluids through, even if you're just remediating or trying to, to remediating that well. It's going to. You have to do that for years after you start. Okay, and that's a cost. That's a cost that needs to be factored in to whether to uh, to your decision matrix around: Am I going to turn this mine on or not? Right. So right now you kind of got the optionality at the, the with the speed at which you move um, the U.S. assets forward. You've got an able and willing partner there, shareholder as well, um, with regards to you know 
the technical aspects of how you move that into production as well. So that that's good. I I, I like that. I, I kind of like that. I like uh, seeing that. Um, I need to talk about um, Labrador mining, right? So Moran Lake, um, you sp- you chose to spin this out rather than do this yourself in, internally as part of you know consolidated uranium. What, what, first of all, why the spin out? Um, and then to you know what, what's what's your kind of relationship with um, with the new company? Yeah. Look. So so. You know, as we, we were always looking sort of two steps ahead with all the assets. And ultimately, when we entered that camp, this is the central mineral belt. It's a huge belt, very prolific. There's multiple uranium deposits, including Paladin's very, very large Michelin project. We wanted to consolidate the entire camp when we first got in there. We just took a toehold in Moran Lake and a very substantial resource to start with. What we ended up what we ended up figuring out is that there was a partnership to be had with Altius, who had a big swath of ground in the belt to create an exploration company and really go after new targets within the district. That wasn't, you know, our strategy at CUR is to become a producer and a developer of, of, of resources, not be an exploration company. And we've never, we, we've never picked up a project that didn't already have resources because that's not our strategy. Exploration is what Labrador Uranium is, is purposely built to do. They've raised nearly $20 million to do that. They're going to be an aggressive five, six, $7 million program this summer. And it's now managed by an entirely separate team. Stephen Keith is the CEO. He's got a, an unbelievable staff and team of geologists and experts underneath him that are working the project. I'm the chairman of the company, so we still have an involvement. But recall what we did when we spun it out is we distributed the shares that CUR got of LUR directly to CUR shareholders. So every person that owns shares of CUR got direct exposure to Labrador. And so we don't own any, a stake in it, but we're very you know, keen followers of it. Again, I'm, I'm on the board of the company and uh, I think it's got a tremendous, uh, tremendous future in front of us. It's exploration, of course, it's high risk, but it's high reward. No, I, especially, in, I, especially in that belt of rocks. No, for, for sure. Like, I actually um, was lucky enough to bump into Stephen Keith up at the um, Quebec constant, uh, conference about a month ago. Um, got a chance to interview him um, and also do a session with him on stage. So looks 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 exciting. I think I think it looks exciting. Good, good team, I say. A lot of money. They've got optionality about you know how they move that thing forward for sure. So it, given us, I would say in terms of if I was ranking these things, uh, US uh, Labrador uranium. What, what would you put next on the list? Given the kind of early exploration nature of a lot of the kind of the, the other Canadian projects that you, you've got in the portfolio, and obviously we've, we've kind of hit upon Argentina and Australia, which perhaps a little bit further down the line. Where, where, where would you point us to if we're looking at, at this? I mean, look, our project in Quebec, Matouche, is a is a potential world class asset. It's the indicated grade of that deposit is one percent. It was one of the most coveted assets in the last in the last sector. They spent $100 million on it. It had a $400 million market cap at the time. We bought it out of bankruptcy for $10 million. And we got it for, for that price for a reason. Quebec is, is not the most pro-uranium mining jurisdiction in the world. But if we can make some inroads, particularly with the, with the local First Nations community there, there's tremendous value in that asset. But that's a longer-term play. I think where we see the, the next development asset it's in Australia or it's in Argentina um, or potentially something else in, in the U.S. that's not in the portfolio yet. 
Um, but that, that's how I would rank the, the portfolio. But I wouldn't count out Matouche at this point. Matouche could carry our entire market cap on its own if we could make some inroads there. Right. But, th- but this is what I'm trying to work out. I'm trying, I'm trying to work out how to value this thing. I kind of expected you to say the, th- the third thing would be M&A. Because g- given my first yes. question to you, which was the markets right now, equities are being pounded, cash constrained companies, you know, tired CEOs, perhaps not quite sure of how to, how to manage the market. You guys have been able to um, raise funds reasonably easily, you know, and time it well as well. So, isn't isn't that a kind of big or third leg to the stool for you um, at the moment? And what are you doing about it? Yeah, one hundred percent. And and you know, a bit harder to characterize, you know, before we've actually announced anything. But I can tell you again that our pipeline's very full. Conversations are being had that maybe we weren't having three to four months ago, where where those tired uh, CEOs of various companies were feeling a lot better about their lives and their ability to raise capital for their own businesses. Those conversations have reignited. And I think that, uh, you know, again, use history as a guide in terms of our company and how busy we've been on the M&A front. We haven't done something in a, in a little while. I can assure you that there are, there, there are more things happening in, in this business. And, uh, but it's, it's hard to say much more than that uh, in, in this moment. Okay. Okay. Well, like, um, like, Bill, like, like, I appreciate, appreciate the catch up, and it, it has been a while. I hope we see you a bit more regularly than this, because I think you, you, the, the portfolio shape has changed and the, the dynamic has changed to the story. And, uh, the focus on being, you know, producer, developer, um, for me is a, is a big, big plus on, um, how you've, um, evolved the strategy. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Great talking.